Um, today we are continuing our series in Philippians, and we have been going through this book, and the title of the series has been Secret to Bliss, The Secret to Bliss. And we're not talking about a euphoric high, we're talking about true joy and true peace that God um, gives to us as he lives in us and dwells in us with the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit living in us can give us true divine joy and peace that is surpassing all of our circumstances, right? Surpassing the fact that I'm sick, right? I can still be joyful in the Lord. And as I was out there, you know, um, the Lord is just like, he's good. And every single person here today, he has for a reason. And he wants to speak to us through his word. And his word is going to speak loudly and clear. Even if my energy is low, even if I'm not feeling super well, or if we look to the scripture, God can still speak. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray real quick and we'll dive into Philippians. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done in my own life and in everyone's life here, God. Lord, that you have brought us near to you. You have redeemed us. You have purchased us with your blood. God, it's um, amazing to think of all that you've done for us. Lord, the, um, the amazingness of your grace is, is not even something we can truly fathom, Lord, or understand, beyond understanding, Lord. And I just thank you for every single person here. I thank you for your word, Lord, that you, you care for us enough to give us your written holy word that is perfect and given to us for, to know more about you, to know more about how life should be lived and, and what you want for us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would read this scripture today and receive it with open hearts and that you would do a work in us. Holy Spirit, I, I welcome you in this room. Speak through me. Speak to their hearts beyond anything I can say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we are finally going to be finishing chapter 1 of Philippians. And we're going to be covering these last few verses of chapter 1. And then we're going to do quite a large section of chapter 2 as well. And the reason I didn't finish chapter 1 last week was that this last few verses actually play really well into this first part of chapter 2. Now, a lot of times we think that the chapters and verses are inspired by God, and that's not true. Only the words were given originally in the original text. Later on in English and, and later on through time, the different language and translators, they started putting chapters and verses for, to make it easier for us to say, hey, turn here, right? Back in the day, um, they didn't have that. You had to, which took a lot more memory to remember where to go. Now we have the chapters and verses, but those chapters and those verses are not inspired. So oftentimes, this is just you know, free information, but if you're reading scripture, a lot of times it's not a good place to necessarily stop at the end of a chapter. Because you might be stopping right in the middle of a, a paragraph sometimes, even a sentence sometimes. Not only is it not inspired, it's just poorly done, but we're not going to change it. <laughs> like, if you look at it, like you read some of these chapters and look at where they put the chapter breaks, and it just doesn't make sense. And I don't know why they did it the way they did it. Um, but I would just encourage you guys, they're not always the best place to stop reading. They're certainly not the best place to stop teaching every time. And so we're going to finish this last little portion of chapter 1, and we're going to go through um, some of chapter 2 here. 
this first portion of chapter 1 is directly correlated to the first part, um, or the last part that we read last week. He had talked about how Paul was kind of in between two thoughts. He was in between, he called it a decision in his own mind of what he was going to be praying for and, and, and which one he was going to be seeking, and it was between life and death. Was he going to be put to death by Nero at this time, or was he going to be set free? Paul, as he's kind of thinking out loud, it almost seems, as, as he's kind of showing us his heart and how he's working through this, he says that it is far better to die, like to, to die is to be with Christ. He says it's far better to be with him, but he's like, I'm convinced that I'm going to be set free. And he says, for what? For their sake, it's better. And there's a need there. And so he says, I'm going to remain, I believe, because there is still need for the saints, and specifically even for the Philippians, that I be here. And we learned last week that for a couple more years, that Paul was set free, was for a couple more years was able to minister before he was imprisoned again, and this time put to death by Nero. But as we look at this, let's look at verse 27. Remember, he's saying that, I'm going to stick around. God's going to keep me here for your sake, because it's better for you. And then he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's directly correlated to the fact that he's going to stay. He's like, hey, I'm going to stay. God's going to keep me here. But there's a condition. If I'm going to stay, you need to keep your life worthy of the gospel. He says, if I'm going to stay and keep ministering to you, it's for a purpose. So live out that purpose. Start to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, maybe you read that verse like I do the first time and you say, yeah, but what is that saying? Because I'm not worthy and I can't possibly be perfect even though I've been redeemed. I'm still in this body of death, as Paul calls it. We're still in these imperfect bodies. I'm still going to make mistakes. I can't live perfectly. I can't um, begin to be worthy. He says our manner of life. Through the work of sanctification that Christ does in our life after we receive salvation he begins to develop us and grow us. And we every day should be looking more and more like Christ and less and less like the old me. Less and less like old Stephen, more and more like the new creature, the creature that I am in Christ. Amen? And so he's saying, hey, look, if I'm going to stick around and keep ministering to you guys, if God keeps me here for your sake, you need to start living a life worthy of the gospel. Don't let my um, freedom be in vain. Start now. Start, worthy, start living a life worthy of the gospel. And then he says, so, whether, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God... And for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I have had and now um, here that I still have. Paul covers a few things here. Do you catch the theme, though? He's saying live a life worthy of the gospel, and then he charges them to live in unity. He charges them, stand side by side, stand strong. Be there together. 
And he says, not frightened, because we're standing together. We're not frightened. And then he also says, for it has been granted to you. Like, you think of a grant. That's a positive word, isn't it? How often do you think of a grant as a negative thing? You don't. You think of a grant as a positive thing. So he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What? Dang it. (laughs) That's not good news. And he said that, you know, I am suffering, and you know that I have had a lot of suffering in my ministry in the gospel, and I'm having some now in prison, and know that you're going to have some too, and it's being granted to you to suffer. I believe that every Christian, everyone who truly believes and follows Christ, will be persecuted at least to some extent. It'll be in different measurements, based upon the culture and country that you're in, depending on the timing that you live. But all of us will be persecuted and suffer for the name of Christ to at least some extent. I mean, I've never been tortured for my faith, but I've certainly been made fun of, right? There have certainly been times where um, I've been ignored, maybe because people think, oh, he's that Christian kid, you know? And the thing is that suffering should not be avoided in the Christian life, specifically persecution. And it shouldn't be something that we're running away from, but we should be united together, firm and unafraid, and say, if persecution comes, if suffering comes, doesn't matter. We're united with Christ, and we're united together, and we're going to just take it as a grant. And know that, you know, as Peter and, and James say in their epistles, that this is something we're going to count as joy. And we're going to believe that God is going to sanctify us and work in us and bring us closer to him and bring us out more like him at the end of this persecution, at the end of this suffering. But the thing is, how many of you want to suffer alone? Still on this theme of unity. We don't want to suffer alone. In our suffering, it's absolutely essential that we have others there to encourage us, to strengthen us, to pray for us. And so Paul, his whole point here, and we'll see as we continue in chapter 2, but his point is, be united. Be united. And in this next portion of chapter 2, he's going to really tell us the importance of humility in unity. Before we read this next section, how many of you have ever been around somebody who just robs you of joy? Right? It could be a coworker, family member, friend. I guess they wouldn't be a friend if they're robbing you of your joy. But uh, <laughs> not a very good friend there. But you ever have somebody who just robs you of joy? Like you get around them and they just, every, like, why can't you make it easy? We're all trying to have fun here. What are you doing? Like, can't you just chill out for a moment? You're robbing us of our joy. We were all good until you showed up. Well, in the church, in the unity that God has for us as a body of believers, there's one thing that always soils unity, and that is pride. He's going to address it here. The secret to unity is humility. Wherever there's humility amongst believers, wherever there's humility amongst people, there will be unity. Because you can have a together mindset rather than a me mindset. But wherever there is pride, pride will tear apart unity every time. 
I use the word soil specifically because this is a gross story, but whatever, right? We got, um, we're going to talk about it. So, Lincoln is pretty sick. <laughs> Lincoln is pretty sick. He's throwing up. He's having like crazy diarrhea that just comes out of the diaper. <laughs> okay? We're going with it. Uh, <laughs> too late. So, I go in there. Um, I hear him fussing in the morning. And normally I would be gone and it would be Melissa's problem. But I was going to go to work a little bit later that day. So, it was my problem that day. And I go in there. He's waking up. I'm getting ready to leave for work. And I hear him getting up and fussing. And so, I go in there and you open the door. And I, actually, before you open the door, you can smell it. <laughs> But you open the door, you go in there, and it's like, all right, there, there's something going on in that crib that's ungodly. Uh, <laughs> and I, I kind of turn on the lamp, because I don't want to blast him with the full light, but I turn on the lamp, and he's just sitting there. And his face is like one of complete confused, like a complete confused and like, what is going on? What did I wake up to? Like, he's just sitting there in his feces, because <laughs> it's coming out of the diapers, it's like, it's more than you can imagine coming out of a child. A baby that size should not be able to poop that much. Okay? He needs a full body diaper or something. Okay? And so he's sitting there just in this mess. And he, he's so sad. And his face is just like, what is this? Where did this come from? Why am I sitting in it? <laughs> you know? That's this expression on his face. Just, just completely upset about this. And I had this kind of spiritual analogy there (laughs) that I'm sharing with you guys. But we can be in this crib of the church. (laughs) And the one thing that will soil it is pride. The one thing that will absolutely ruin our unity, soil it, is pride. Every time. And if we let pride go unchecked, We're going to wake up one morning, (laughs) and we're going to be sitting there going, what happened? What is going on? So that's my analogy. (laughs) In this next part, in chapter 2, Paul will really emphasize the importance of humility in our unity. He says here, "Be, be of one mind. In verse um, 27, 28, be of one mind in everything. Stand strong, even in suffering. And then he's going to transition here to just really emphasize the fact that unity is essential for, uh, humility is essential for our unity. Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, is there any encouragement in Christ? Have you found any encouragement in Christ? The, The question is somewhat rhetorical, isn't it? He's like, hey, if you know Jesus, you should know. Is there any encouragement in Christ? There is, isn't there? Any comfort from love? Any participation in the Spirit? Any affection and sympathy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Complete my joy. He's like, hey, are you experiencing the joy of the gospel? Are you experiencing the encouragement? Are you experiencing the love? The affection, the sympathy of community? Are you experiencing what you're supposed to? If you are, 
complete my joy by being united. The love of Christ, the work He's done in our lives, should bring us closer together as a body of believers. It should bring us closer together than anything you can find outside of a believing church. We should have the, out, like, the complete love, the complete encouragement of Christ dwelling in our community, bringing us closer together. And he says this, we'll complete his joy to see it. And then he says, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's a hard thing to ask of us, isn't it? Do nothing from selfish ambition. How many things? No things. Don't we do a lot of things out of selfish ambition? Oftentimes, we're always thinking about ourselves. Thinking about what I need in this moment. And in a church, when we all come in and we're like, what can people give me? When everyone has that mindset, no one receives. But when everyone is there to give, we've talked about this a lot before, but when everyone is there to give, everyone receives. The more selfish we are, the less we'll have our needs actually met. Isn't that interesting? And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. <laughs> in humility count others as more significant as yourselves. That is also incredibly difficult to do. How many of you on a daily basis just think, I am less significant than them, I'm less significant than her, I'm less significant than my wife, you know? Like, how many of you are just, like, thinking that way on a day-to-day basis? I'm less significant. My needs are less important. I'm going to have this humble mindset. And instead of thinking about myself all the time, I'm going to think about others. C.S. Lewis said that the secret to um, humility is that it's it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. The real key to humility is to think about yourself less. Not necessarily to think of um, less of yourself. It's getting rid of the selfish ambition that we naturally have. And humbly taking care of the needs of others. So he is really emphasizing the need for humility. Unity, but more than that, how we must be humble to have it. We must be humble to have it. And then he comes into this next part here in verse 5. And it seems just a little bit like a theological rabbit trail. He just jumps all of a sudden and he gives us one of the most packed statements about Jesus you can find anywhere in Scripture. And it is incredibly powerful. And it is very important that we have this mindset, the same mindset that Christ had. But he says this, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Saying, be united, be humble, and in fact, have this mindset amongst yourself. God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the second part of the Trinity, who's all-powerful, sovereign, omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. Have this mindset that when he was in the form of God, did not count it um, at equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but instead humbled himself to be a man, to be born in a manger, to be a servant. Jesus washed feet and took the care of the needs of the least of these. He humbled himself and then even to the point of death, even death of a cross, which was a shameful way to die. Think about the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And for us, he counted our needs as significant, more significant, and came and humbled himself to the point of even dying on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. If God is willing to do that, for you and I, how dare we let pride exist in the church? How, let, how dare we let it exist and soil our community that he created through the power of the cross? We should have this mindset, the same mindset that Christ had, to humble ourselves for the sake of others. And then, Verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was restored to where he already was. You see, he didn't have to come to earth and die on a cross so that he could be God or so that he could be exalted. He already was. Since before time began, Jesus existed eternally as the Son, the King of the universe. But he humbled himself so that he had to be exalted again. This was optional for him. Completely optional for him. And yet he did it, and it's through his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And he makes it very specific. He's like, who's going to bow? Who's going to have to confess that Jesus is Lord? Everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The idea is every heavenly being, every human being on earth and everyone who's, depending on what you read, is under the earth, but probably referring to those who are dead as well. He's saying everyone will confess that he is Lord. They will bow before him. Everyone will be humbled at the name of Jesus. Everyone will 
stand before him and be brought to their knees. And when God says, this is the son, this is the one who redeemed those. And he is the one who punishes and judges as well. Every knee will be brought down. The question for us, though, during our time on earth is, do we humble ourselves before him of our own choice? Or do we ignore it and be forced upon our knees when the day of judgment comes? When you look at the book of Revelations, it talks about this scene. It talks about this scene in Revelations and it says that he separates them, those who believed and those who didn't, but all had to bow. And then those who believed were brought into the new kingdom and those who were not were cast into the eternal fire. This is real. This is what is going to happen. And for us as a church, there is no room for pride. There's no room for pride. Receiving the gospel is a thing of humility. It's a thing of saying, I I need Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I am not worthy, only he is worthy. And we submit, we turn our lives over to him as our Lord and Savior. Paul encourages us to be united, he encourages us to be humble, and then he goes into some beautiful theology on who Christ is and what he accomplished, and how he came to earth to be humble. He's exalted, and it's at his name every one will confess and everyone will um, know that he is Lord. You know, throughout Scripture, there's absolutely this theme of unity. It talks about it over and over and over. But as much as it talks about unity, it always also talks about humility. They go together. We cannot have unity without humility. You know, I, I love this verse. Mark nine thirty five says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus came and he served. And we, as we follow him, we must learn to serve and view ourselves as servants. In Matthew twenty three ten, Jesus said, And do not be called masters either, because you have one master, the Messiah, the greatest among you, will, will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See the theme here of humbling ourselves before God? Humbling ourselves and serving others? Um... In 1 Peter 5, it says, For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The one part that we oftentimes miss is he says that at the proper time he may exalt you. Right? A lot of times we go, All right, Lord, I served. When am I going to get the credit I deserve? You know, I went and served. I'm going to post it on Facebook. (laughs) You know, 
And we just immediately were like, I'm being humble, but then we just want to exalt ourselves for being humble. We want to brag about being humble. We want to brag about serving. Because we're trying to exalt ourselves still. And he says, no, just humble yourself, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. At the proper time, the do- at the day of glorification of the saints, he's going to exalt us. He's going to give us crowns and, and new bodies, and we're going to live in heaven as these perfect people for all of eternity. No more sin, no more sorrow. He will exalt us, and it's going to be awesome. But he says at his time, not our time. It's so easy, like, we, like I'm going to be humble for a month, and then I want to make sure people know, so I'm going to exalt myself. It just isn't what we're supposed to do. And it shows, oftentimes, that we're still proud. We still have these very prideful hearts. Um, I can't remember if it's Isaiah or Psalms, but there's a list, and it says... These are the six things that God hates, seven that he detests. You know what number one is? Depending on what translation you read, it's either haughty eyes, or some translations translate it as a prideful look. The number one thing that God hates. We don't think about that very often, do we? What does God hate? We talk about God's love, but what also, what also does he hate? He hates our proud look, our haughty eyes. I'm not talking about, you know, hey. <laughs> Most of them find that funny. <laughs> talking about our haughty eyes, our pride, our, our proud look. God hates it. Because it's not the spirit that he has for us. He has a, a spirit of humility for us through Christ. For us to live like Christ, a humble life. And at his timing, and in his way, he'll exalt us. But we shouldn't exalt ourselves. In James, this is a slightly different translation. Um, it says, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's interesting to read it as favor instead of grace there, but he shows favor to the hum- humble. How many of you want God to oppose your life? Right? Do you ever, have you ever had the thought like, man, I just hope that God opposes me. Today, right? I don't know, I think I've heard the saying before. It's like our arms are too short to box God. Right? But when we have a pride spirit, a proud look, when we are trying to exalt ourselves, it's like we're trying to box God. And we don't ever win that battle, do we? We don't ever win that battle. Pride actually causes us to oppose God and have God oppose us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be, I don't want to have God opposed to me. (laughs) Like, I would much rather have God favor me and give me grace. Amen? I don't want him opposed to my life. Well, if I allow myself to be prideful, if I'm trying to exalt myself, he is opposed to me. Amen? Amen? And so we must have a humble spirit. And God gives grace to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. So, we're going to be united as a church. 
We must be humble and serve one another. It says, um, finally, brothers, in Corinthians 13, it says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This humility in community actually really opens it up to where his peace and his love exist there. But wherever there's pride, there's division. Wherever there's pride, there's going to be quarreling. Wherever there's pride, there's going to be fighting. Wherever there's pride, there will be problems in community, always. But where there's humility, we find love, we find peace, and we have true community. So the question is, would you rather humble yourself or be humbled by God? (laughs) It is much better to humble ourselves than it is to be humbled by God. Ultimately, we all will be humbled by God. But listen, in this lifetime, you can humble yourselves before him or he can do a work of humbling you. Have you ever been humbled by God? I can think of some times in my life where my arrogance and all the things I thought I was doing was so great, and God just cut it down, right, to teach me humility. Have you ever had anything like that in your life? Scripture makes it clear that it is always better to humble ourselves than it is to be humbled by God. There's a lot of things we want God to do in our life. Humbling us isn't one of them. We want to do that ourselves. It's better if we do it ourselves. Scripture is clear that we can do it ourselves. Like we, we want God to do a lot of things. We want him to love us. We want him to do things for us. We pray for him to do things. Whatever your, whatever your prayer requests are. The one thing you shouldn't pray is, God, humble me. <laughs> because if he says yes, it's going to be miserable. <laughs> you know? He will break you down. So don't, I would encourage you, Don't pray for humility. Just begin to be humble. Take the mindset of Christ, who, though he was God, did not consider a thing to be grasped, equality with him, a thing to be grasped. Though he was God. Think about that. That's the mindset that we should have. We're not God. And sometimes we think equality with God is something we can be grasped when we're trying to exalt ourselves, when we're trying to promote ourselves, when we're trying to selfishly get our way all the time. We're acting as though we think we're God. We're not taking the mindset of Christ, the mindset of humility, saying, no, you know what, I'm going to stop thinking about myself so much, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to serve the needs of others. I'm going to view them as more significant than myself. Instead of thinking, my needs, my needs, me, 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 I'm going to start thinking, what do they need? And I absolutely know that it will be a much more fulfilling life. Right? Don't you ever get sick of yourself sometimes? Anybody? Anybody else? I get sick of hearing myself talk. (laughs) Right? I get sick of hearing myself talk. I get sick. Like, there's a point when you realize you're being selfish and you just kind of, you're like, that's gross. Like, why am I being so selfish? You ever do that? Marriage will teach you a lot about selfishness. I've learned that. Didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. 
And then you start to realize, I'm a selfish person. And my pride and my selfishness, they stink. Like, they're not good things. In a marriage, I know that selfishness and pride causes fights. It's rare that you have a fight when both people are going, what do you need? How can I take care of you? How often do you fight when that's the, that's the mentality? You won't fight a lot, trust me. And even if one person takes that side, there will be a lot less fighting. But it's the same thing amongst family members, friendships, and the community of believers. There won't be a lot of fighting when we all are saying, hey, what do you need? Like, how can I help you? How can I take care of you? You know, it's like that awkward moment when you're like at a four-way stop, and you're like, you go first. And they're like, no, you go first. And then you're like, no, you go. And then they kind of go, but you kind of win at the same time. You're in this, like, you do this stupid dance, and everyone else is behind you going, what the heck are you all doing? One of you be selfish and go. (laughs) But in our community of believers, if we would come in and just be like, no, you go first. (laughs) You go first. It might be a little bit annoying, but trust me, it's a lot better than everyone coming in here and trying to just bulldoze their way through and get their way and get what they want and get what they need. I hope that people could come into our church and say, like, they're a little too nice. It's like, it's kind of weirding me out. (laughs) Right? I just wish they were just a little more selfish because it would make me feel comfortable about who I am. (laughs) You know, if we were completely selfless, if we were living like Christ, it it would be something amazing. It would be a community that truly has unity. But pride will destroy it. Pride will divide it. And humility will create it. In humility, it creates the room for God to work. You see, when we're all prideful, God can't do a lot in that community. You know why? Because pride causes him to oppose us. But humility causes God to show favor to us and to work in us. And so we must learn to have that mindset of Christ. I want to have a church, I don't know about you guys, that is one that is united, that we stand firm, that we stand strong. Like Paul is saying, hey, like if I'm going to be released, I want you to start wor- living a worthy life. And then he goes on to show us how that worthy life is lived. And it's through humility and unity. So today, you know, think about who you're not united with. Who in your life you're fighting with? Who in your life you're having problems with? And check your heart and say, am I being prideful in that area? Is there some pride here? And do whatever you can. You know, the Bible says to have peace among, um, with, have peace with others so far as it relies on you, or so far as you're able. Right? There is obviously times where you can't have peace because the other person won't have it. But we have to check ourselves and say, if I'm fighting with this person a lot, if I'm having a lot of problems with this person, what can I do to be as humble and loving and self-sacrificing as I can? And then to think, like, who do you want to be more united with? Who are you like, I would just love to be closer with them. You want to know how to make that happen? Go serve them. Be humble. Show them the love of Christ. So in this church, think of somebody that you're maybe having 
problems with either in this church or outside of this church, but think of that person and, and think of how you can be humble there. But also think of those you want to be closer to and think of ways that you can serve and be humble there as well. And just watch what God does. God will do a lot through us as we be humble. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, help us have the mindset of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would read your scriptures and see the need for humility. To see the need to rid ourselves of selfishness and pride. Lord, I pray that we humble ourselves before you and before each other so that we can have a more united and stronger church. In Jesus' name I pray.